You're listening to MeSearch, a podcast featuring Filipino perspectives. In this show, we talk to trailblazers, business leaders, and bosses in the community to find out more about what they do. Join us as we learn and get to the bottom of things. Stay tuned. Hey, Dustin. Hey, Crystal. Hey, her, verbata. Her, verbata. Hey, her, her, <laughs> I'm so sorry to everybody listening to this episode. Like, ah, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I am so annoying. No, you're not. This is why we're friends, and okay. I love you. I mean, you know, step into a conversation with me and Dustin, and I'm pretty sure this is the type of thing you're gonna walk into. <laughs> yeah, literally, it's just noises. Um, I think the most substantive conversations we ever have are just on this podcast. <laughs> Outside of this, it's just like, hey, let's let's tell fart jokes and just like laugh in each other's faces and like, make funny movements with our hands. Yes, which I, I'm I'm totally for. Like, I live for those moments with you. We have a very well-rounded friendship, wouldn't you say? Yes, I I agree. Like, <laughs> we definitely do fun things, um, including eating together, mm-hmm. including singing together, mm-hmm. including just existing in the same space together, mm-hmm. including, uh, this. this, this, just like making funny just, noises. Just, just, yeah, this kind of thing. Just, we can go on for a while and it's yeah. good. <laughs> and what I also appreciate is that we support each other yes. in all of our endeavors. Yes. Yeah. I love our friendship. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. Gosh, such a such a relationship of a lifetime. Isn't it? But I do have a question for you. Yeah. And the question is, what's a current Filipino food or restaurant recommendation that you would like to share with the world? Okay. So, I feel like food at any Filipino party is delicious. Mm-hmm. And like, anytime I ask my aunt... Like, where did you get this from? They're always like, oh, yeah, I cooked it. Or, like, I know a person. Like, I know a guy. Um, I know you didn't cook it. (laughs) So, just tell me where it's from. Don't lie to me. (laughs) Don't don't lie. Don't lie to me. But honestly, like, it's probably from, like, it's probably from, like, Ranch 99 or something. (laughs) Like, they probably just bought some, some stuff from, like, either the food court there or, um, maybe something frozen. And it actually tastes very delicious just like the pre-made stuff yeah or maybe my palate is not refined but i appreciate it um outside of just like what you might find at your local family party i would recommend uh the desserts at cafe 86 which they have multiple locations in southern california because i very much have a sweet tooth um like when it comes to savory foods i prefer i usually prefer like home-cooked stuff Mm-hmm. But with desserts, I really mm-hmm. prefer to go to like specialty stores or like even the grocery store, like um, like Goldilocks type of place mm-hmm. uh, or Red Ribbon. But Cafe Eighty Six is just very much a modern version of what you might find in a bakery that you might have visited growing up. It's just very like these are ube flavors. 
in a form that like is a little bit different, a little bit modern, um, like an adapted version of something that you might find at a Filipino party. Mm-hmm. Quite fancy, quite delicious. Uh, definitely highly recommend. What about you? Um, well, the last, the last, uh, Filipino meal I had restaurant wise, and I, I'm always, I'm all, I feel like I'm always plugging them, but they're just that mm. good. Um, I had La Cita, mm. um, and we had some, what did we have? We had chicken in a sal and, uh, their porchetta. And it was delicious per usual. I told Chase that he was rude for making such delicious food all the time. <laughs> dang you, Chase. Dang, dang you, you. Dang you. Um, but yeah, they're always bringing it. And I know that they're remodeling right now. So I'm excited to see like what the remodel is going to look like once we come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, another thing that I ate well, I'm about to eat is my mother-in-law's menudo, and I'm very excited Ooh. to eat it. So shout out to mom and dad, because I love whenever they cook for us. I Yummy. love a good, like, hearty Filipino stew. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, so yummy. Yeah, so yummy. Oh, and for dessert, one more thing. Um, if you are in the Valley, please check out Creme Caramel. They have delicious, like, ube cheesecakes, pandan cheesecakes, um, pandesal, a whole slew of delicious, delicious uh, bakery items. So check them out if you feel like driving to Sherman Oaks. Yeah. Yeah. And if anybody listening to this podcast has recommendations for us, yes. whether that's in Southern California where we are, or if you want to make recommendations for wherever you may be listening from, then send those to us because we would love to have a reason to explore. Yes. Let us know. So speaking of food, we are talking to Bettina Makalintal, who is a food writer for Vice slash Munchies. And we're talking to her about her journey with how she got started as a food writer. We're going to be talking about um, her opinions on Filipino food representation in American media, social media, and some recommendations that she has for other food writers and resources to follow. So let's get into this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out with us today, Bettina. Today, um, we're talking to you about your experiences as a food writer. Uh, We know that you're currently a staff writer for Vice, where you write about food through the lens of pop culture, history, and cultural criticism. Um, I've also watched a lot of your TikTok cooking videos. I always get super hungry when I see them. Very, like, (laughs) good quality content. Thank you. Um, So it seems that food plays a bigger role in your life than perhaps most other folks. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you landed in food writing? Yeah, totally. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, So I have just always been like very, very interested in food my whole life. Like I've always been hungry. I've always been like wanting to try whatever is new. Um, So I didn't think that you could like make a job out of that. Um, But obviously I sort of grew up watching a lot of 
food travel shows, Anthony Bourdain, Food Network, mm. stuff like that. Um, and sort of always knew that this was like something that I wanted to do, but I didn't really understand that there was a path to it. Um, and so after college, I, you know, went to college for neuroscience and realized it wasn't a fit for me. Um, mm. But food was still sort of always the thing that I liked. So towards the end of college, I sort of realized that I started reading more food writing and realizing that there was actually a career where you could viably sort of write about food and talk about food and just be obsessed with food. Um, so that's sort of how I ended up in it. I started freelancing. And then after doing that for a few years, I ended up um, applying for some staff jobs and luckily got one. And that sort of helped me get in the door. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been fun. P.S. I was also a neuroscience major. Yeah, I meet a lot of former neuroscience majors. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll clarify. I am a former neuroscience major. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. But not for me. <laughs> yeah, same here. Um, I'm also like a fan of food, but I also didn't realize that, that that was something that you can make a career out of. Did you happen to, did you happen to have anybody that you looked up to um, doing food writing specifically? I know that you mentioned Anthony Bourdain, but he's more, from my, from what I've seen is very much a presence on television, but was there somebody doing food writing in particular that you thought, hey, I could do that too? Yeah, so actually like the huge turning point for me was like in college, you know, most of my life, I'd never had a Filipino professor or teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, it was mm -hmm. never a thing I like learned about in school. And then for some reason in the last two years of college, I ended up with like two Filipino professors at my college. Um, and one of them was doing sort of a class about Asian American food and how you could see, use food as a lens to understand Asian American migration. Um, and so that was Ale uh, Renee Alex Ortiza, who is, uh, he's the author of the book, Taste of Control. So mm -hmm. we did an independent study where we, you know, we talked about food and what, like, you know, the history of food and how colonization and imperialism have shaped sort of our understanding of Filipino American food and sort of understanding that he could do that as a professor and like make this career out of it made me realize that like there was actually a path. And so having that independent study with him was really sort of what solidified for me um, that, you know, I could think about food critically um, and actually go sort of deep into the history and like understand what it means to people and to communities. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing because like, so technically I shouldn't have been able to take the class because it like didn't fit into my schedule. But I was like so interested in the topic that I emailed him and said like, hey, can we just do this as an independent study? And it ended up being really fulfilling because it was sort of like we would just have these one on one discussions every week where it was like, hey, here's a cool magazine article I read. Like, let's talk about it. Um, so it was amazing. And I think that's an opportunity that like probably is not super common. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, um, do you still keep in contact with that professor? Um, vaguely. He like, we come up in the same sort of, you know, the Filipino food writing community is not that large. So we come mm -hmm. up in the same circles pretty often. Um, but yeah, his book came out, uh, I think last year. So it was very exciting to see sort of more people be able to read his work and understand what he's doing. That's so cool that you were able to have that opportunity and that that professor was able to kind of push you in that direction. Wow. What a turning point. Yeah, and it was, a, it was a really good example of sort of like, you know, one of the first things we read in that class was to Kim by Doreen Fernandez, who is this Filipino food writer from uh, the Philippines. And she sort of is like generally considered to be the person who really like brought critical thinking about Filipino food, sort of a global scale, but also sort of helped Filipinos understand that there is like this academic historic way to think about food. Um, and so like, he, that was one of the first books he had me read. And I just think that that whole experience was really 
an example of sort of how important it is for people in our community to sort of see that there's a younger generation who's interested and sort of like pass that information down. Um, Because, you know, he definitely was like open to mentoring me. And I think that, you know, there, you know, there aren't that many of us in Filipino food writing. So I think it is really Mm -hmm. important to pass on the knowledge. Um, So I'm very thankful for it. That's, that's so cool. That's exciting to know that, you know, we have movers and shakers as yourself and your professor pushing, pushing Filipino food to the forefront. Um, on that note, um, so we've learned that you found your niche as a food writer, which is amazing. We're glad you're here to represent. <laughs> um, yeah. And we love that you've dedicated so much of your work and online presence to highlight cuisine from the Philippines and other Asian countries. Um, considering what you've seen and written about, what are your thoughts about representation of Filipino food in American media? I think that it's noticeably gotten better a lot, uh, especially over the past, I would say, like two to three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, growing up, like representation of Filipino food to me was very, very slim. And if, and if it did exist, it was things like Fear Factor or Bizarre Foods. And so it was oh. very much this like white gaze presentation um, by people who were totally outsiders and they were positioning themselves entirely as outsiders with very little interest in sort of understanding or like portraying our food in like a positive light or even just a thoughtful light. Um, And, you know, I think that changed as I grew up and I got older, but I think that especially in the past two or three years, you've seen like a ton of, you know, a ton of progress in terms of Filipino food getting spreads in the New York times, like centerfolds and Bon Appetit. Um, and I think it's it's been amazing to see that so much of that is coming from people within the Filipino diaspora. Um, and we are really sort of starting to be able to, um, we're get increasingly being given opportunities to sort of take control of the narrative and shape it in our own way. Um, and I think, you know, that's led to a much uh, a much better understanding, I think. I think we're seeing, we're not just seeing stuff that's sort of explaining like, here's this Filipino dish, right? We're also seeing stuff that's sort of like variations on, you know, traditional formats, which I think is really exciting um, that we're sort of not seeing Filipino food in this like, you know, stuck in time lens, but we're also mm-hmm. sort of seeing this this progressive uh, movement of Filipino American food. Um, and I think that's been really exciting. You know, I think there's a lot of you know, there's still a lot of room for growth and there's a lot of things I'd like to see more of, but I'm pretty happy about sort of the state uh, that we're in right now. Where do you want to see it go? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so for one thing, I, like I touched on, I I think that I would love to see a little bit less sort of um, feeling like we have to be so beholden to how our parents did things mm-hmm. um, and to sort of welcome more broadly this idea of, people in the second generation and like the diaspora sort of just playing with these things that are very familiar to us. Um, And I would like to see sort of the Filipino American community at large sort of treat those things with a little bit more respect. Cause I think Mm. right now there can be a sense that, you know, those re-envisioned versions are done for an outside audience or they're done for the white gaze or they're done to appease different people who aren't Filipino. Um, And I think the way I like to look at it is that those things are sort of natural progressions of us being in the diaspora and having a very specific experience of eating food here uh, for most of our lives. And so I think that sort of that type of natural progression is very natural. And I think it is very interesting to just see the way we're playing with cuisine and we're still sort of evoking the same memories and the same essence of dishes, but we're not like, you know, we're not stuck to my parents did this. So I have to do it that way. Yeah. You know, um, 
Lhasa is one of those restaurants. Shout out to Lhasa. We literally go there for (laughs) all of our birthdays now. But yeah, it's when I first had Lhasa and I had their, it was their palabok. Their palabok was unlike any other palabok that I've had. But at the same time, it was like familiar and it, it felt like it represented like what our generation grew up with or what we would create because of the experiences that we've had being specifically like in Southern California and uh, what was around us, which is so cool. Um, yeah, totally. another, yeah. And this, uh, I don't know if you've had it, but a petite peso over here in LA. No, I want to eat there so badly. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh Oh my gosh, Bettina. They have (laughs) their um, adobo French dip. Ooh. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It is out of this world. I, I just, I couldn't believe what I was having. Like the au jus was adobo, like adobo sauce. And I'm like, wow, what? Like, I know French dip and I know Filipino food and these two things that like we grew up with coming together and making its own name for itself as this dish is mind-blowing and beautiful and delicious. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, everything they do, I like follow them on Instagram and I've done a talk with Rhea in the past. So we sort of like, I see all her stuff and I'm just like, oh my God, I need to eat that. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the Los Angeles Filipino food scene, I think is definitely sort of on another level in terms of just like, there's so many people in the community sort of like playing off each other's inspiration. Um, but it's kind of amazing. I mean, I lived most of my life in places without Filipino people really, mm-hmm. or like strong Filipino communities. So it is it's like very like cool to me to see like these huge pockets of like networks sort of like all taking inspiration from each other. How is the Filipino food scene specifically in New York and where you're at? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that like in New York, I feel like New York has always been sort of like, you know, a place where Filipino food was growing, but I feel it's like, especially over the past year and surprisingly over the pandemic, I feel like it's really sped up somehow. Um, Uh I think that like, I think Filipino food has really benefited a lot from the pop-up movement in general. Um, But I think over the past year in New York, I feel like I've seen so many Filipino pop-ups and so many of them are sort of working together to have like events where, you know, one group does the dessert and someone else does the meal. Mm. Um, And I think it has really helped sort of make that all move a little bit faster, uh, which is fun. Yeah. And I, you know, I love how, here in LA as well, like the, the community, like all the different Filipino chefs, like I feel like they're all like hanging out. Well, it just seems that way on like Instagram or they're all like connecting in some way. And it's just cool to see everyone come together versus like, Oh, maybe there's competition, but it just feels like everyone is here for each other, here for each other, which is awesome. Yeah, totally. I mean, I feel like one thing is, you know, I feel like obvious, like as, you know, uh, underrepresented group in the United States, there is can always be this sense of sort of like scarcity mentality where it's like Mm -hmm. only one person can be the face of Filipino food, which I think maybe has been the case in the past where, you know, we it was a very limited conception. It was just like one or two chefs. But I feel like now there is like sort of this realization that there is room for more people and that no it doesn't have to just be like one person who's the most successful um and i feel like i really feel that in the pop-up scene where everyone's sort of collaborating and figuring out ways to like work together instead of being like the only pop-up that's dominating you know right yeah 
Hey. Hey. <laughs> I will say the downside is like it makes it kind of hard to like choose which one to go to because there have been times when I'm like, well, there's this pop up here and this pop up here and I can't conceivably, can't conceivably go to both. Ah, decisions, decisions. But that's like not the worst problem. Considering the fact that technology has evolved over time since you started your career in food writing, thinking about how Filipino food is represented in media in general, maybe not just in um, written format, we now see such a huge presence on social media with like recipe videos and like uh, photos of uh, like what we all have cooked for for the day. I especially like the stuff that you post on your social media, on your Instagram and your your TikTok, like definitely gets me Thank hungry. You. What are your thoughts about the use of social media in the advancement of Filipino food representation? Yeah, I think social media has been amazing. I think that, you know, I think there is this difficulty sort of with traditional media where mm-hmm. traditional like print publications or even digital where, you know, you can't sort of cover the same thing too often. Like, you know, it, there is like technically space online, but, you know, I think sometimes publications can still sort of have these standards of, you know, they can only have one adobo recipe at a time or things like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that one thing this, that social media has really allowed for is that you don't have to work within those standards at all. You can kind of just anyone can make anything and you kind of choose how you want to run it with no no oversight, like telling you sort of what to do. And I think it's been really like, I think it's been really valuable to see the different ways that, you know, people are using Instagram to make sort of like mini publications or spotlight different creatives who might not be getting attention in other, uh, you know, other publications. Um, but I also love seeing sort of the way people use TikTok and YouTube to to make cooking videos that, you know, maybe they they don't see a lot of them in other, uh, other platforms. Um, so I think it's just been a good thing. I think the downside is that I feel like it can still be kind of hard to find things, you know, mm-hmm. like that's there's so much like wonderful stuff on social media, but unless you follow the right people or know the right hashtags, it can be hard to sort of dig it up. But I feel like I'm always finding sort of these new like diamonds that I didn't realize existed um, of people doing cool projects. Um, I think another thing I think has been really valuable is like the way social media makes it easy to see what's happening in the Philippines. Cause Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the Filipino food scene in the Philippines is really vibrant and it's very like, it's make, there's so much like progress just in terms of what's happening at home. And I think, you know, it's easy for me to just see what's happening in the diaspora and just see how Filipino food is progressing in the United States. But in the Philippines, it's like, they're kind of, they kind of have these like completely different trends and like what people are making is really different. Um, But with social media, I'm able to sort of see those things happening. And I don't know that I would have been able to sort of pay attention to that as well 10 years ago. Yeah. How about that sushi bake, though? Yeah. Like the fact that that blew up. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and and like, that was kind of a weird one, too, because it's not really like a very like Filipino seeming food. But it was sort of like everywhere that wrote it up was like, oh, yeah, this trend originated in the Philippines. And I was like, it was kind of a cool example of that, like Filipinos can like lead these international food trends that aren't just Filipino food, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. I was really surprised. I'm like, oh, what is this sushi bake situation? And when I was looking it up, like all the recipes, all the YouTube videos were all like people from the Philippines. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't tried it yet, but I will at some point. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> post, post it, post it when you do. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we've been talking about your experiences in food writing, specifically with regards to Filipino representation um, in the diaspora, in the Philippines, on social media, in print. Uh, what are some tips or actions you'd like our audience to take based on all that we've talked about today? Yeah, I mean, I think that the main one is that, like, I think that if you're like people are interested in Filipino food, I would just sort of follow as many, you know, as many Filipino creators online as you can. Um, I find that really, really helpful. A few people that I really like are um, the the Filipino food writer Felice Prudente Santa Maria um, has a really, really active Instagram presence where she's sort of always posting um things about talks that are happening online. Most of them are like Philippine time. So it's a little bit hard um, if you live like on the East Coast. But, you know, I think that her pages are really good selection of resources. Um, there's a new newsletter that just started a few weeks ago called Merienda. Uh, if you go on Instagram, it's read Merienda uh, with a Y. And it's just a newsletter that, you know, explores uh, Filipino food and sort of like the way Filipino food, uh, culture, food culture has moved through, di- through the diaspora. Um, so they did a piece about like where ube comes from. They did another piece about the Manila galleon trade. Um, I think that's been a really exciting place to sort of get a little bit more academic about Filipino food. Um, I would also say just like read books. We're in, like, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of sort of good books that have come out recently about Filipino food. So that one that I mentioned earlier, um, Alex Orquiza's Taste of Control, I think is a great place to start. Um, oh. I really like uh, Brian Coe's Milkier Pigs and Violet Gold cookbook, which he kind of goes all over the country and, and shares all of these recipes. Um, I think Angelo Comstey is also Filipino is a very good book because it's it's all about regional Filipino food that you might not know about if you sort of have like a Manila centric lens. Um, so for me, that's like it's a ton of recipes I'd never heard of before, but it's really exciting to have them like written down. Um, if you like anyone's looking for Filipino books, the Filipino food crawl website is really good. Uh, and now serving in L.A. always has a good selection of Filipino things as well. Ooh, awesome. all this great literature. So um, if someone out there is also studying neuroscience, but is also very passionate about food and is like, oh, gosh, look what Patina did, <laughs> um, but doesn't have the opportunity to maybe take classes uh, as you did, how can one get into food writing? If, yeah, if that- that, no, it's a great question. I think the industry can be like really opaque. Um, but Diane Jacob has a book called Well Write for Food that is like this very solid um, ex- like explanation of sort of how to write recipes, how to make a blog to post your recipes on, um, how to pitch food stories. So I think that's a really good place to start. I would also just recommend sort of reading some of those best American food writing anthologies. Um, I think those are sort of a good just selection of like lots of food writing um, that is generally pretty good. Um, so it's a good way to sort of understand what people are writing about and how they're approaching it. Cool. Awesome. Very valuable information. Also, do people who go into food writing, do they necessarily have to be good at cooking or should they just have like, would it be acceptable to just have like a very, you know, good palate or sensible or a palate that can read things? Yeah, no, I don't think you even have to be good at cooking. I know of several food writers who don't cook. I'm not going to name any names, but I know they exist. So it's just like, I think you just have to sort of 
be very like I don't think you even I think you just need to be very eager about food and like willing to ask questions to understand more mm-hmm. and just be willing to try things or to meet new people who might you know know about a thing that you can learn about. Cool. So I don't think you have to cook at all. <laughs> all right, y'all. If you're into food but can't cook, it's all good. <laughs> but but do but do the work. But do the work. All right. All right. So, Bettina, where can people go to learn more about you and your work? Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Bettina Mac. Uh, that's B-E-T-T-I-N-A-M-A-K. Uh, my website is MacAlintel.com, M-A-K-A-L-I-N-T-A-L. Um, and that has links to all of my social media and different articles that I've written and stuff like that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome and it was great to meet you. Thank you for taking the time out to chat with us. Um, Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all, this was Bettina Macalinta. Yay! Yay. Thank you. Okay, man, that was amazing. Yeah. What a wealth of knowledge Bettina has in the food industry. Yeah, it was so exciting to chat with her and and connect with her. Um, Yeah. So, Boo, what is your takeaway from our conversation with Bettina? Well, there are so many things that we talked about that was like, wow, like light bulb moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the first things that she talked about is something that resonates with me and I think is applicable to all types of career paths is is when she talked about her mentorship relationship with her professor um, when she was a former neuroscience major herself that professor pretty much opened the door to food writing for Bettina and I think that speaks to the importance of having somebody ahead of you as a as a uh, as a mentor as somebody who can speak to the industry as somebody who can be an example it's important to have that person to let you know that there are other ways of being and existing. And likewise, with somebody like Patina, who is writing about Filipino food, it's all about like representation at this point. It's like, who can I see in the industry or who can I see in this artwork, in this piece, in this piece of music, in this, in this article, in this book? that I resonate with, I can look up to, I can emulate in some way. And I think Bettina had that person in college to show her the way about food writing. And Bettina is now that person for a lot of people who now want to go into food writing. Yeah, super important. I think, yeah, yeah, especially when you're taking a non-traditional career path, like having that, mm-hmm. that person kind of hold your hand for that second to say, hey, it's okay to dive in, let's go. Super important, Absolutely. yeah. If you're wanting to get into something that you don't typically see our community engaged in, I bet you there's someone out there who is doing something um, at least to that kind of effect. So seek them out. I know it's like kind of like weird to maybe reach out to a stranger if you if you feel like, oh, how do I approach this person who doesn't know me? But, you know, again, like the answer will always be no unless you give it a try. So Mm -hmm. go reach out to that person. Go go do your research if you're thinking of looking for someone who is that handholder for the moment, that mentor. 
And I think what we've talked about in previous episodes is, yes, we have definitely mentioned that networking is very hard, especially for folks who don't usually do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing to take comfort in is that when you're engaging with a Filipino or a person of color, if you are also Filipino or a person of color, like you already have that common ground mm-hmm. to to pull experiences from. And that is a good way to kind of establish a bond to build from. Yeah. So go for so, it. Go for it. Go for it. I say seek out people that look like you who may be interested in the same things as you. And then that will be your common ground. And then networking will be a breeze because it's not networking. You're making a friend. Yeah. Yeah, making a friend. A pal. A pal. So, Crystal, what is your takeaway from this episode? Um, I loved how we were talking to Bettina about the progression and evolution of Filipino food and Mm -hmm. how we need to embrace how it's shifting. You know, she said something about how, like, we're so used to... um, identifying Filipino food in the way that our family has introduced it to us. And when we're presented with something that's a little bit different, um, perhaps like our communities, like, oh, this is not Filipino food. This is like something else. This is fusion or whatever. It's not really, really Filipino food. But um, our family gave us food that speaks to their experience, their own very specific experience, whether it be if they grew up in the Philippines or um, it was, you know, it's it's a little bit more of like what we grew up with. But I think it's really cool that we have chefs right now who are taking their own experiences. And I, I kind of talked about how Lhasa kind of did this they're taking their own experience and like what their geography has been and how it's infused um, their creativity, uh, making Filipino food and embracing it. Because if we want to embrace our culture for all that it is, part of that experience is being and talking about like folks in like America, right? In the U.S., their experience is being Filipino in the U.S. So what does that mean? And what does it mean to be, you know, growing up in maybe San Diego and having specific things like in San Diego that is kind of dictating how Filipino food is evolving and how it's been for you Um, or wherever you're from, just like picking a random city here. But, you know, I imagine that the that if there were. I'm sure there are Filipino restaurants in San Diego, mm-hmm. but I imagine if there is a Filipino restaurant in San Diego, they would have something like a carne asada fry, but with like Filipino f- flavors yeah. in it. Yeah. Because like carne asada fries are such a San Diego thing and I'm into it. Um, and now I kind of want to research that to see if that does exist because I would want to eat that. Yeah. 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 And like in, mm-hmm. like in San Francisco, I know that there's uh Senor Sisig. <laughs> and they they have they do seasick but in burritos. Oh my god! I know. Uh, I know. I burritos know. are the best because like you can just they're mobile. Yes, they're mobile, <laughs> and you can just like 
eat it with your hand. You can drive with it. Well, please don't. But also, like, it's possible. No, just don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do but, it. But like, it's mobile. It's mobile. Yeah, you can take it on the go. You don't have to s- sit down to eat to enjoy it. Mm, love a good burrito. Yeah, and anyway. you know that can also be very telling of like your geography. Like if you're in like a very busy city, something like um, like a very mobile food, like a burrito or like a bagel. Ooh, a bagel, y'all. Ooh. If you what would you if you had to make a Filipino style bagel, what would it be? I, you know, like if ooh, this is like a chopped moment. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I were to make bagels more filipino maybe i would make a maybe some like kind of like bandesal kind of bagel i don't know what that would entail Mm. and how to do that because i've never made bagels but maybe like a pandesal kind of bagel moment and like the filling could be like I don't know, like a smoked salmon of some sort with, I don't know, some kind of Filipino fusion or like, uh, like a tocino or like a longanisa uh, or like even spam, you know, like something. Oh, yes. I don't know. Like now this is making my wheels turn, but like, yeah. So it's like, it's all about like, Folks in the in the diaspora have very specific experiences, and if that's infused into our food, then it is very much valid and enough. So when you see folks who are trying to create something, and if I create a freaking Filipino bagel, y'all better support, okay? <laughs> yeah, I would support it. Thanks, thanks. Well, I hope it's good. If it's not good, then I understand. But <laughs> it's cool. It's it's totally cool. Um, but yeah, it's enough. It's valid. Um, it's, it's okay to, to claim that as ours, Mm y'all. So claim it. Yeah. Evolution's good too. Evolution is good. Little change is fine. Little change is fine. Yeah. And it's not like we're forgetting about our roots, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's all just how the, the branches are, you know, growing from these from this deep rooted beautiful tree of filipino deliciousness Mm -hmm. yes oh man i'm like so hungry after this episode all right let's go eat (laughs) let's go eat okay so that's a good (laughs) that's a that's a good signal for us to end the episode thank you so much for listening yes everybody um again if you have recommendations let us know yes but for now you know Cook food, enjoy it, support your local Filipino restaurants, and support me search because we love you all. We love you. <laughs> all right, everyone. Have a great day. Have a great day. See ya. Thanks for listening. MeSearch is produced and hosted by Dustin Domingo and Crystal Tugatti. Editing by Dustin Domingo. If you enjoy MeSearch, make sure to share, subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Also, make sure to check us out at MeSearchPodcast.com and follow us at MeSearchPodcast. We're going to get to the bottom of things. This is MeSearch, folks. Woo-hoo!